Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Utah Film Pod. My name is Josh Terry. I am your host, and I am joined by Mark LaRocco and not Danny Hatch. Danny, if you listened to the last episode, has uh, decided to step away. We're going to miss her. We're going to miss her insights and contributions and uh, still kind of hoping that we can keep her involved. Might be able to talk her into doing some more stuff, but, uh, you know, life gets busy, right, yeah, Mark? Yeah, it gets, it gets busy, but we're, we're, we're going to miss her. Uh, I don't know how to say it. Gen Z. I guess she's actually a little older <laughs> than Gen Z, but, uh, you know, her perspective that is, that, yeah. you know, we appreciate. She's in film school and she's made movies herself. Mm-hmm. She's made shorts. She's really involved in the actual making of movies more than Josh and I are, and so yeah. But she'll she she may she may make you know guest appearances every now and then, and still be a little bit involved. But for the most part, she's she's moved on. Yeah. No. And and we we certainly hope that uh, that she'll be coming back and and doing stuff because yeah. I mean it's you know it's a uh, it's a busy life and there's a lot of different things going on and. And you know, I even if she doesn't uh, continue to come back and do do a lot of consistent contributions and stuff, I am always going to be very grateful for all the work she's done over the last year and a half, kind of getting the podcast up and running. I would I would definitely credit her for keeping me in this business. So thank you, Danny, and uh, we will definitely be hearing from you in the future, hopefully, right? Yeah. So anyway, um, but no, but so so yeah, so we wanted to definitely address that at the beginning of uh, today's episode. Um, but, uh, yeah, so Mark and I are still going to be taking things forward and, uh, maybe try out some new things. And, uh, I don't know. We'll have to see if, uh, there's some new, new angles to take here, some new, new, uh, subjects to cover. Um, but in the meantime, we do have, uh, one new movie that's going to be coming out this weekend that, uh, we'll be talking about and we'll kind of see where the conversation goes from there. But, uh, I don't know. So the... Like I said, the the one movie I guess we'll just kind of lead off with um, is uh, Amsterdam, which is the new movie from David O. Russell. And we, you know, Mark, you and I were talking before um, we started recording. And apparently David O. Russell has done a lot more movies than I realized uh, because I thought of him in terms of Silver Linings Playbook and um, what was the other one I was thinking of? Uh, American Hustle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then, but then I open up IMDb you know, because, you know, we have to have good little reliable reference point. And turns out I've seen a lot of his movies like the fighter and three Kings. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, were there, were there any of other ones that you had seen of his? Um, I, the ones you've mentioned, I I've seen silver linings playbook. I've seen, uh, the three Kings and the fighter and I heart Huckabees. I believe, I don't know if I saw all of it. Oh, that's like right. It. That was, uh, that but was then it. the other one is yeah. joy. Did you mention joy? Oh, that's right. Yes. Yeah. Joy, joy. Yeah. yeah. So, so of all of his kind of bigger ones, um, Silver Linings Playbook is the one I have not seen, but I did see Joy. I saw American Hustle and some of these others that we mentioned. Um, anyway, so so Amsterdam is the latest of uh, a long line of films, uh, longer than I realized. And so I'll just announce my ignorance off the top. Uh, but it actually gives me a little bit more more context because, um, funny enough. Uh, there's a connection to the fighter that I uh, observed but didn't realize was more legitimate until now. So I'll get to that in mm-hmm. a second. Um, but Amsterdam, uh, it's like I said, current release. Uh, it is set back in the 1930s. And so it's a period piece. And it mostly follows the exploits of three characters played by Christian Bale, Margot Robbie, and John David Washington. Uh, they're kind of three friends 
who were who were bonded together through uh, basically their experience in World War One. So so the movie is set in the 30s, you know, a good like 15 years past uh, the experiences that brought them together. But then we have flashbacks to their experiences in the war uh, over in Europe and in Amsterdam, which is you know where the name of the movie comes. And uh, Christian Bale plays uh, a doctor named Bert, who is a really kind of eccentric character, um, very very car- very cartoonish, um, not to the point of being uh, too zany, but like what's funny is his his performance actually reminded me of his character in the fighter and so now knowing that david o russell also did that movie mm. it makes a little bit more sense oh, okay. um but he is a he is a doctor who specializes in reconstructive surgery and kind of like face plates and stuff for uh for veterans who've been injured in the war and he's married but he's in an unhappy marriage he's kind of estranged from his in-laws and uh and john david washington plays a lawyer who was kind of his his good buddy um and they 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 fought together in world war one they were actually injured together and they were tended to by margot robbie's nurse character uh which is valerie and so they kind of formed this bond back in um uh back in world war one but then the main story takes place several years later down the road where the senior the commanding officer for uh, Christian Bale and John David Washington's characters is assassinated. And there's suspicious circumstances around this death. And the the officers, I can't remember if it was his daughter or his granddaughter, but she's played by Taylor Swift. Uh, she gets um, Christian Bale to do the autopsy because she wants to find out, you know, somebody tried to kill my dad or did kill my dad or my grandfather. Like I said, I can't remember which one it was. But, uh, and then she, you know, this is a minor, minor sport, spoiler alert because this is something that happens fairly early on. Um, but uh, she she falls victim to violence as well. Mm. And so the main plot centers around uh, Bale and Washington and eventually Robbie coming together after all these years to try to figure out what... Uh, what nefarious plot has has led to these murders, mm. and uh, how it connects to their their shared past, um, which is an interesting way of kind of introducing it. Because halfway through this movie, I had completely lost track of what the story was about, and and by I guess what I mean is. This is a very style-heavy movie. It's very quirky. Like I said, the uh, you know you could almost describe Bale's performance as kind of cartoonish a little mm-hmm. bit as this as this doctor. And so for you know the good first half to two thirds of the movie, I, I remember stopping myself at one point and thinking, you know, I'm not even really sure what this movie is about, but it's fun because it's got kind of this kind of witty, silly style. And but then eventually the the story itself does kind of take over again and become much more of the focus, right? Because there's a lot of content early on where we're, we're having flashbacks and we're seeing them interacting in, in the war and kind of bungling about town and interacting with other characters. And, and there's just, I don't know, there, there were a lot of moments and, and just kind of a, a general impression that reminded me very much of a Wes Anderson movie. Uh, there was a lot that reminded me of a Coen Brothers movie specifically, I got a lot of connections to "Oh Brother, Where Art Thou?" Oh, um, and yet, while those Wait. two directors 
can be kind of silly. Yeah. The content in Amsterdam still was a little more serious. Yeah. And so so I don't know, it's it's difficult to describe. I mean, I, I'm not sure if I would compare it directly to any of Russell's other films. Hmm. But there's a lot of personality and a lot of style to it. It, it but then there's some problems as well. It, yeah. Does that, does that make it, sense, Mark? Because you because you haven't seen I haven't this yet. Seen so this yet, me describing this movie, does that make any it sense? It does. At all? But now I have some questions because uh, first of all, how yeah. many brain cells does the trio have? Because it's hard for me to find the O Brother Wart Thou connection. Although maybe it's because it's like 1930s. You know, it's early 20th That's century. Part of might, it. That might be part of it. Um, and then also. I, it is hard for me, and the way you're describing it, to really connect it to Russell's other films, because sort of the zaniness or wackiness or whatever, it, yeah. it's really not too much there. Like, for example, in Silver Lang's Playbook, that's a that's just it's kind of a romantic comedy with yeah. sort of a, a big kind of mental no, health subplot. And, and the fighter, the fighter is just a straight drama. Yeah. Yeah. You know, very, very much like almost kind of documentary style handheld, you know, just felt very. Uh, so it's it's not like the fighter at all. Um, I don't I'm trying to remember because I like I said, I saw Joy just the one time when I reviewed it a few years ago. I don't remember a ton about it, but it definitely was not stylized like this. Movie. Joy is Joy um, to me was pretty charming and an inspirational biopic about this woman and it's yeah it's not wacky i mean it has definitely a lot of funny some funny parts in it but yeah Mm -hmm. this sounds so maybe this is a little bit of a new direction for russell i i don't know no and that 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 could very well be um i mean i remember i remember not liking i heart huckabees very much um and i remember it being kind of quirky and i remember kind of not liking the quirkiness just didn't feel as natural Mm -hmm. I suppose. Um, no, so so here here are my primary complaints, and this is kind of where I tie in, O Brother, Where Art Thou? So, so the style of this movie is a lot of fun. The performances are a lot of fun. The cast is almost too much mm. um, because you have the core cast that's familiar, but then you also have a number of very, I guess, prominent, recognizable actors in various different roles. So it's a very kind of like a, it's like an all-star cast, right? And every time you turn around, there's somebody else who's kind of like a A-lister or borderline A-lister turning up. Like I said, from from Taylor Swift, um, Rami Malek is in there, Anya Taylor Joy is in there, uh, even uh, Robert De Niro come, shows up by the end of the movie. And so, while they're all great quality actors, and it's obviously great to have such you know talented people in the roles, I almost got the, got the sense after a while that the cast was there more to just kind of show off that, Hey, and now it's Remy mm-hmm. Malik and now it's Robert De Niro. And, and so it seemed less that it was essential to the story or to the movie and more just kind of like, we're just going to get all these great famous people. And, and so there was a little, cause you know, I, and honestly, I think a lot of Wes Anderson's movies have kind of gone in the same direction where they're just, just packed with, you know, the people who love being in, cause they, everybody, everybody wants to be in a Wes Anderson movie. Right. And, and and so so that almost seemed a little distracting yeah. in a way, where you know I think there's obviously a balance, mm-hmm. right? You know, and and the core the core three I thought were great. I I loved, you know, Christian Bale. Margot Robbie was fantastic. She plays kind of like this eccentric, like so she's kind of a nurse, but she's also kind of an artist and and is, you know very much kind of a a free spirit because she's she's an American, but she's over in France during World War One and 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 stuff. But uh, 
Um, and John David Washington does a really good job. And then kind of beyond that, um, like I said, a lot of familiarity. My, my bigger complaint, though, and, and this one, I'm, I'm going to try to put this as tactfully as I can just because I don't want to give away anything to anybody who's interested in it. And I think that people might still be interested to see this. Um, so, so with Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? And, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give some clear spoilers for Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Um, which probably really aren't that substantial as I think about it. Like in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? You have this very, very stylized, quirky, atmospheric world set in the the depression era and you have all kinds of folk music and it's just kind of like the bio and it's 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 poverty right and these these three um uh convicts on the Mm -hmm. run and eventually the story ties into kind of i don't know if you call it a subplot i guess it's a subplot with the ku klux klan Mm -hmm. which is a real life hate group right infamous right and so so the story ties into something that is, you know, quote unquote serious, mm-hmm. right? And, but it still maintains this quirkiness and it doesn't change the tone of the movie when they interact with the clan or when they have the showdown with the clan. You, mm-hmm. you remember what I'm talking about? Yeah. It stays very consistent. Yeah. So Amsterdam tries to do the same thing with a different group but seems to shift tone and become if not quite heavy-handed just more serious and more heavy-handed than i think it should have been and so so to the point where the movie feels kind of disjointed because like i said for the first the first hour at least the first half of the movie you're not really thinking about the plot. Mm-hmm. You're just kind of being entertained by these characters and their zaniness and kind of following their different stories and pasts and stuff. And you almost kind of realize, like I said, I, I, it actually occurred to me, man, I'm not even really sure what this movie is about right now. And it doesn't really matter much. But then but then the plot about, you know, who assassinated the, the commanding officer and who's behind this and that really takes over in the third act mm. and connects to this really serious real life thing because you know it's it's a period piece just like oh brother where art thou but where oh brother where art thou was able to kind of maintain kind of its its even kind of quirky funny tone and atmosphere that doesn't happen with amsterdam and and for me personally that's what undermines the movie the most is it kind of leaves off with this disjointed it it feels like it's getting more up on a soapbox Um, and, and unfortunately there also seems to be a clear intent to, uh, connect things to, to modern life, not, not specifically or explicitly, but there are enough repetitions of the, of the term or the phrase history repeats itself that almost makes it seem like they're trying to advertise, you know, trying to get the audience to think about how does this apply today? Mm. And so it's, it, which is just annoying, right? Because if you're doing a good job, people should be able to make those connections on their own. They don't need to be spoon fed in that way, is, especially when it's is it a, on, on Russell's is, that, is it about racism? You can just tell me um, if that's it is, or is it something else? Uh, yes and no. Okay. Yes and no. Like, like I said, I mean, I don't, I don't want to give okay. too much away, but cause it, I mean, I've, I've really basically said, mm-hmm. you know, that, 
in the same way that Oh Brother Where Art Thou uses the real life clan as part of its, mm-hmm. you know, setting the stage, period piece, yeah. authenticity. Amsterdam does the same thing, but just seems to take it much more seriously to right. the point where it's it throws off the balance and the tone of the movie. Yeah. And and becomes more like like you never felt like Oh Brother Where Art Thou was lecturing you about racism. The fact that the clan was evil yeah. or racism, and they right? Did, because we all and get they did, it. It's all they obvious, didn't make them right? look serious either. Like they're funny scenes. Exactly. They say ridiculous things. Right. They can't even tell right. you know the masks become a joke and then they, uh, I, yeah. I remember there's a shot of them marching around in their white, you know, uniforms, and mm-hmm. it's a, it's an overhead shot, and it almost looks like a Busby Berkeley musical, like, like they're all yeah. in sync and it's symmetrical. It's, you know, like, like the way that they have, a, you know, 1930s synchronized swimmers or whatever, and it's kind of funny. Um, so it definitely is played for comedy in Old Brother Art, though. I mean, it's not to like downplay that it's this horribly racist organization, but oh you know, right. It's, and I guess that's what I mean yeah. is that they they could have done something similar with Amsterdam, it's, but it was almost like they were kind of or he, you know, if we're talking about Russell, if this was Russell's call, it just it just felt. It sounds like it was like, tonally inconsistent or incoherent yes. or or something, you know. Right. Huh. Right. Maybe. Um, which is too bad because, like I said, I mean, I really enjoyed the style and and the the interpretation and the fun. There was there are a lot of really fun things about this movie that that I I enjoyed mm-hmm. thoroughly, um, and and so so it almost kind of feels like well, if they had kind of toned things down or kept a little bit more of a put a light touch on the third act, yeah, it would have worked a lot better. It, I mean, it wouldn't have made it a great movie or anything, but but I think it would have. It would it would have stuck the landing a lot a lot more and so so as a result of that, I think the most I could give it was be like two and a half stars out of four, but really more of kind of like a two out of four because it just yeah. it just kind of leaves you thinking oh okay well it, I guess that's that I, I hate it when they when it's like there's a heavy handedness in the movies where they want to cross the line yeah. into preachiness especially in a comedy and I like because. A comedy, especially where it's like, okay, I want to laugh, maybe even turn off my brain a little bit, you know, like, and yeah. don't want to be preached to or lectured to. And I, I it's funny that because John David Washington's in this movie, right? And okay, right. so he was in another movie. Um, You're thinking about Black Yeah, have you seen that? Okay, okay. Oh, yeah. So there's a line in that that is so ridiculous. And I, I did laugh, I think, because it was just... Spike Lee, I like him as a director, but sometimes he's just way too obvious in what he wants. He he wants people to believe too on the nose. Too on the nose, yeah. and and it's uh, Topher Grace who's like the local oh, clan right. leader. He plays David Duke. Yeah, doesn't he? he plays David Duke, and he he's he's talking because a lot of times when you hear Ku Klux Klan people talk, they have these almost little code words they say if they're not just being outright racist, and it's like it's heritage and it's our culture and. And, you know, they, they say things like that that are really just like white culture, white heritage, you know. Yeah, he, right. Anyway, he was complaining. And, and what they do is they pine for the past, you know. like. And he was saying, I wish there was a way we could just just make America find its greatness again. And this is in 2018. Yeah. And Trump had been president for right. two years or whatever. And so he's like sticking that like make America great slogan into this line yeah. that you know was yeah. written directly because of trump 
And then there's that little yeah, homage and... to the uh, the woman who died in the the, ra- the rally in Charlottesville at the end of the movie. Yeah. So it's like it's it's overly obvious, you know. Um, but yeah. And that's right. And that's I guess that's one thing that, you know, I mean, I. I've seen more movies than most people, but I don't consider myself like completely literate and, you know, I haven't seen everything out there. Right. But it does feel to me like the messaging in in films nowadays is more. I don't know if explicit is the term, but something that has bothered me for a long time and it's has been when it's very obvious that the filmmaker gets more interested in the message than the story. Mm -hmm. And so the, the, the quality of storytelling is compromised because the people making the movie are more interested in kind of banging home some, some message or some kind of, you know, and it, like I said, which, which has nothing to do with whether I agree or disagree with the messages involved. Yeah. It's just that kind of like I said, if, if you're doing a good job and, and if you're go- doing a good job with storytelling, you shouldn't have to bang people over the head with these things. They'll, they'll get mm-hmm. it. You know, we give us a little credit as, as moviegoers. Right? right. And, and so, cause it, it just does seem like nowadays there's, there's a lot less subtlety and a lot less tact mm-hmm. and, you know, and you and so you're going to have like these obvious lines that are just, you know, yeah. finding a way to work, make America great again into some, into the words of some avowed white supremacist mm-hmm. or anything where, yeah, we all know what that means. Right. And okay. And I don't know. I, I think it, I, I guess, I, I guess the filmmaker has to decide whether the most important thing for them is to get the message out or whether it's to be a good filmmaker mm-hmm. or a good storyteller, you know? Yeah. And, I don't know. It's just, just an observation. Interesting. So, well, uh, I, I, yeah, yeah. The, Russell. I mean, and it, yeah, it sounds like maybe it's not one of his better works. Um, I, I have enjoyed. I think of all the movies I've seen of his, my favorite is Silver Linings Playbook. Um, my right. wife and I went and saw that in the theater when we were, I think, it was 2012. So we'd been married a couple of years, and it's just a great crowd-pleasing romantic comedy drama with okay. kind of this pretty strong undercurrent of mental health issues because the two main characters have mental health issues played by uh, Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence. And of course they are, I, I never, I, I mean, I didn't realize Bradley Cooper really could be that funny. Um, and you know, maybe I've missed a bunch of his movies, you know, but this was 10 years ago. I was going to say, he was um, so good. You, did you see, did you see licorice pizza? No, I haven't seen that one yet. I need, to, I need to watch it. It's available now. His, yeah, his supporting role in that because he's really only in the movie maybe for like ten minutes or so. I mean, it's it's. Not I heard long. he steals the show, but yeah. oh my goodness, that is <laughs> yeah, he is so funny yeah. in that movie. I would, I I mean, it was a good movie yeah. in general, but I think that my my first reason for recommending it would be Bradley Cooper's supporting performance. Well. Um, I if you I mean anyway. and that's the thing the supporting performances in Silver Linings with Robert De Niro and Jackie Weaver are great and they have such funny lines and there's like this little conspiracy theory about 
Eagles games. There's one of the funny things about the movie is it takes place in Philadelphia and everybody is a huge Eagles fan. I, I mean, maybe not everybody, but like it's it's a big part of the movie. It's a bigger part than you'd think yeah. for, a, for a movie. Like it's like a modern holiday mo- ho- uh, Hollywood movie about how people love the Philadelphia Eagles, including, you know, the main main character and um, lots of little lots of great one liners and and then just sort of a, a plot where it 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 manip- you're rooting for certain things to happen as as is common in romantic mm-hmm. comedies and just you really get swept up in it um but uh yeah if i i don't want to spoil it but it's great um and then three kings was a good one um yeah i remember that i one. remember that came out like, and, like i said i i i had didn't realize that that was mm-hmm. him that that was david o russell yeah. um but was happy to learn that it was just because I, I mean, I have not seen the movie in quite some time, mm-hmm. um, but I remember, and I mean that that had some kind of some wackiness. Kind of I know. I was just thinking about that. I was like it. thinking, it almost what other Russell that movie might is wacky. be. Yeah. yeah, that might be the closest parallel. But again, ha- not having seen it in quite a long time, um, I could be I could be off. But it, uh, it's it is a weird story to take place in the Iraq War, but kind of these soldiers turned into like almost. Well, the, the original the original Gulf War, right? right? Like right not the right, yeah, not the twenty first century one. This is this is back in the early nineties, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. And no, that was that was good. And then David Russell, I don't, I don't know if you want to get into that. I mean, he's he's kind of been persona non grata for a few years. He, I think, Joy was his last movie before Amsterdam, and there, he was. I think you're right. Swept yeah. up in some of the Me Too stuff. Was yeah. He? Um, yeah, a few things, but also, I mean, he he's been kind of abusive on set to some of his actors. I assume he's he's gotten better now because the stories are quite old. But I've I've even seen the video because they released the video of he uh, directing Lily Tomlin and I Heart Huckabee's and like okay. calling her the c word and and really like you know using completely inappropriate language. Um, there's uh, stories about how like Christian Bale kind of had to stand up for Amy Adams uh, in. The filming of America. No, I think it was American Hustle. Um, oh, okay. And she, he was, you know, not like physically, you know, but like kind of verbally, he's yeah. like very unprofessional. And so there are certain people that won't work with him. Like George Clooney, after Three Kings, he said he'd never work with him again. He was asked about okay. it. And like, and he, he's, you know, would you ever work with him again? And he basically just said, life's too short. So I think, I think <laughs> after, I think, and maybe I'm just, I don't know the reason, but there is a seven year gap in his you know, from his last film to this film. And I wonder if he's gone through some, maybe there's a reason for that. You know, who knows? Oh, has it been that long? Yeah. I think joy, I, I, it was a long time ago, but let me double check. Um, I think that was 2015. That was, he really had a good run there with, I mean, uh, silver yeah. linings playbook, American hustle, joy. They all came out in like four years or three years. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was 2015. Wow. Okay. Yep. Well, that's crazy. Yeah. I didn't realize. I mean, I guess that's just because I'm getting older. Right? <laughs> because every all, all my perception of time is all is all shot. Yeah. <laughs> we can. Well, that's another thing we can blame on COVID too. <laughs> right. right? Every, everything that I thought was six months ago is actually two two and a half years ago. Now. Anytime something doesn't go exactly how you want it in your life, just call it long COVID. Long. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Right. No, I, I do, I do feel like I'm finally emerging from. A, I, I, I did my weekly run this morning, mm-hmm. 
and uh, finally starting to get some decent times yeah. uh, after having uh, COVID a few months ago. I was, I don't know. I mean, because I guess that is kind of like a respiratory thing, mm-hmm. right? So it makes sense that uh, I finally have an excuse for being a lousy. <laughs> it's all but, due uh, to COVID, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I have an update for okay. you. Okay, oh, real quick. Let me just say um, one more thing, because I just realized yeah. I kind of like, okay. ended yeah, on a bad-mouthing note of David O. Russell. He does have <laughs> a, a core of actors, uh, almost like a troupe, that do work with him a lot. So, I mean, if he was really yeah. hor- horrible, like, he w- he'd just be run out of town. But apparently, I mean, Christian Bale, Robert De Niro, Jennifer Lawrence, they, they've been in mm-hmm. three or four of his movies. You know, I, I guess jo- Jennifer yeah. Lawrence at least three, because I'm thinking of Silver Linings Playbook, American Hustle, and Joy. Robert yeah, De Niro yeah, right. has been in all these, and you said he's a, he appears in the, in Amsterdam. Right, right. Christian Bell was also in The Fighter, so he he does have actors that apparently love working with him, and he's been you know he's been called a genius, and so I you know I think there's just been a few experiences that have you know haven't been very good and rubbed people the wrong way, but yeah, he's he's worked with some people multiple times. So anyway, just yeah. Had to well, that's, that. that's that's a very diplomatic <laughs> to say to say, Mark. Very 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 kind. <laughs> no, no, it's I, I mean yeah, I, especially talking about what was last time, and then since I didn't especially enjoy Amsterdam, mm. you know, I kind of feel like gosh, I need to find some things that I like to talk about on these podcasts because I don't want to just just to be the oh this is just Josh griping about different things he because he just hates everything you know, but uh, sometimes you can kind of feel. No, I mean, there's there's a lot that I really enjoy, mm-hmm. you know, but uh, the more you see, I think the more the easier it is to kind of pick certain things apart. But uh, but I do actually. OK, so on that note, this uh, update I wanted to give you. So so last uh, in our last episode, uh, we were talking about uh, some new streaming releases. We were talking about Andor and Rings of Power. Um, and at one point you asked me if I was going to continue watching Rings of Power now that we had talked about it on the episode, because I watched the three episodes okay. to uh, um, to get ready. And my update is that I have not watched any more Rings of Power. Okay. However, however, I did decide to finally start watching Better Call Saul. Oh, I love that. Because mm. we now, did we talk about that just me and you, I, or did we talk about that in the episode? I can't remember, but go go ahead, tell me your. Because I know, I mean, I know at some point you and I have discussed Better Call Saul, and I mentioned that I watched like the first couple episodes and just didn't stop. Yeah. Right. Um, so so based on your recommendation and kind of what I've heard around, I I decided to give it another try, and uh, I mean I didn't like race through and marathon the whole thing in a couple of days. I'm still in the first season. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am enjoying it. It's a it's a good, and and you know it's a, I think it's a little easier to take than Breaking Bad in terms of its content. Uh, the world is a terrible right. place, and I just want to crawl into a hole and yeah, get into the fetal position. Right? Um, no, in fact, uh, uh, it's it's been it's been you know I will like, like I said I'm I'm still in the first season, so it, I guess it could dramatically turn, but. Um, enjoying it and looking forward to uh, uh, watching some more um, and just so impressed with uh, Jonathan Banks um, going through one of the early story arcs with him where he you know it talks about his uh, uh, his son being killed mm. who was who is a, a cop and uh, just just one 
one one uh, kind of monologue I was watching in an episode last night just absolutely blow me away. Uh, the Mike Mike Ermintrout is mm-hmm. the is the character. Oh yeah, he's such and, a great uh, character. Yeah, and and Banks Banks really I, I was really impressed. Like I, I knew he did a good job because I really appreciated him in Breaking Bad, but just what I'm seeing him do so far in in this per- one. Perfect casting, is, uh, I think. Notable. Yeah. 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 I would think so. But so, yeah, so, so I, you know, and I don't know, I mean, I'll probably still get around to watching some more Rings of Power. It, it hasn't, I mean, well, if a, if a show is good enough, I won't need to persuade right. myself to go see it. You I'll look just forward go see to it. it. Yeah. It's just like a yeah, book, right? right? Like when you read a book, have you ever noticed like when you're reading a book, like it either is like the thing you think about during the day and can't wait to get to at night or it's like homework. Like, well, I got, yeah. <laughs> I, this is due, this is due at the library on the 12th. I guess I got to power through it, you know, or it's like, oh my gosh, uh, I'm, I really, I read it on lunch. Like I had a book I was reading that I actually took to work a few weeks ago and I would read it on my lunch I, a couple days. I was like, oh, yeah. I'm just going to take a few minutes and read anyway, instead of looking online or watching a video, I'm just going to read. And it was, it's called Where the Crawdads Sing. And um, okay, I yeah. really liked yeah. it. They just made the movie. They just out made of it. a movie out of it, which okay. I, I haven't seen yet, but I, I want to see it. My wife's reading the book, so I kind of like think once she's done, we'll we'll watch the movie, and it might even still be in theaters now. But it was great. It's such Maybe, a good yeah. book. It's just kind of a southern tale of uh, I don't know a lot of loneliness, isolation, a little bit of a murder mystery, and really well written. Um, but right. yeah, and it, and it jumps back in time. It's like there's there's sort of like a kind of cross-cutting plot of of more modern and then then this girl's life growing up um in the swamp area of north carolina and so anyway um yeah so that's kind of i guess with you know if there if you have a good tv show that's really good and you really like it yeah you're, you you don't have to talk yourself into it or or make it feel like an assignment yeah you know no well it's it's funny you mention that because i I've made, you know, one one of my uh well-intended resolutions for 2022 was to read more. Mm-hmm. Um because for for an English teacher, <laughs> I I have a terrible track record for not reading nearly as much as I should. And uh so I I've, I've been I've been concentrating on trying to kind of keep some books going. Yeah. And, you know, I reread um, of mice and men, and mostly trying to find new mm-hmm. books, you know, and, and mo- most of them have. I've I've been able to get through get through quite a few, you know, at least by comparison to other years. But but unfortunately, I do kind of find myself in that situation where you describe, where I am, you know, I'm interested in a book and I want to finish the book because, but I'm only kind of doing it little small chunks at mm-hmm. a time. And so instead of like, oh, I can't wait to like get some free time and sit down and read this book, it's like, oh, you know what, I got some time. Yeah, I should better probably read it. Try yeah. to get a couple, of, you know. yeah, and because right now, right now I'm reading. Um, I've been doing kind of like a lot of kind of uh, concurrent uh, stuff where I'll I'll get like two or three books at the same time and just kind of alternate a couple chapters here and there. And and I'm I'm working my way through Tale of Two Cities, mm. um, which is a book I'm trying to remember if I have already read because I have this impression in my head that I read this back in junior high when I was taking uh, my French classes. Mm. But reading through it now as an adult, I'm thinking, I'm not sure I can imagine reading this in the eighth grade, just in terms of kind of like its, its density oh, yeah. and, and, and understanding and comprehending it, you know, 
Um, but I mean, I remember the story very well, and there are some really specific things about it that uh, I absolutely just adore, mm. um, and have just kind of taken with me for years and years. So I, uh, so I have some kind of history with it. it. I sadly, it might just be that I got a couple of references, and then just I think we probably watched the TV movie in in Madame Sharp's Centerville Junior High French class. Uh, back back in the eighth grade oh, or ninth grade or whatever it yeah. was, um, but at any rate, I'm reading the book now, and uh, I'm it's it's a little bit more it's it's a challenge, you know, and so so I'm a little more have to concentrate a little bit more on that one, and then the uh, as opposed to one of the first books I read this year, um, I don't know if you've ever read anything by Chuck Klosterman, um, but I think anybody who I don't listens I to this podcast would probably appreciate hearing about him because he is he is a uh, he started out as a uh, mostly a kind of a music writer where he would interview musicians and bands and and so he was I think he was writing for like spin magazine and some different uh, mm. kind of more it was it was more concentrate it was kind of the same way that um, Cameron Crowe started out writing for Rolling Stone. I don't think I don't think Chuck Klosterman ever wrote for Rolling Stone, but it was that kind of stuff. Okay. And then he just kind of branched out into more general pop culture type stuff, um, and has uh, gone on to publish several books. And I, I've read I have reread several of his books multiple times. And whenever he has a new one, I just go straight through it because I just enjoy his. It's so it's so it's nonfiction. It's it's basically like pop culture journalism mm-hmm. and commentary mm-hmm. um his his most recent book is just called the 90s and it's kind of this step-by-step breakdown of you know kind of the various big events of the decade and you know gets into kind of the world events and the, the politics as well as the pop culture stuff but it doesn't you know he's not really a political writer hmm. um but yeah just i mean his his first book was called fargo rock city and it was a kind of a combination of one part memoir of him growing up in the Dakotas in the, the 70s and 80s and right alongside a kind of a loose history of the hair metal of the, the 1980s, um, kind of the Guns N' Roses, Motley Crue, Cinderella, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of stuff. And and what is just so adorable about it is that, you know, so he's this sophisticated rock writer who, you know, knows a lot about music, knows a lot about pop culture and kind of understands that, the you know, the what I call the butt rock of the 80s oh, yeah. is 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 a little less than, you know, the the most <laughs> impressive or, uh, or or landmark music in in, uh, you know, of of. of the decades mm-hmm. and uh but his affection for it because he grew up with it and because you know he listened to the cassette tapes and it's all the stonewashed jeans and the and the metal t-shirts and stuff um his his love of it just oozes through the book and so even though like i i have i mean we're, we're veering on to music mm-hmm. again you know see this this is what happens when danny goes <laughs> is that we're right. just it's just you know we're oh those guys are back talking about music again, <laughs> and uh, and so because I I have all kinds of memories 
of bands like you know like Guns N' Roses and Def Leppard and and a lot of that kind of stuff they were never really my favorite bands but because they were kind of in the background of my childhood listening to that music or hearing that music will always kind of connect me in 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 a very nostalgic way and so so even but even though I wasn't really like a fluent schooled hardcore metalhead uh it's still just such a such a fun book to read because he loves this stuff so much and then he's kind of weaving in kind of parts of his childhood where he grew up in this you know kind of rural environment that uh you know was really just kind of perfect for being kind of you know isolated and and uh alienated you know listening to the music of alienation right but uh because he just he just wanted to party like Motley Crue. So. I I kind of want to read that. Yeah, that sounds good. I I was really into that, that would, music in the. I loved Guns N' Roses. I I, I still really? think they're the best best about rock band. I mean, I know, I I I think Appetite for Destruction and the Use Your Illusion, the two disc set and Lies were mm-hmm. just four of the best albums of that style of music of that genre of music. Um, yeah. I'm inclined to agree with you. I mean, I because I've listened to a lot of it. I mean, lots of like Motley Crue and Poison and Metallica and a lot of those bands. I I was I was I had a period where I was quite into that music. Surprisingly, I never grew my hair long like one of my friends, and you know, like I just didn't do that. Uh-huh. But I, I liked the music and uh, Guns and Roses. Um, still, I think "Sweet Child of Mine" is one of the greatest songs of all time. Um, they they always I don't know and and maybe just kind of reflecting back on this with a little bit more of a mature perspective, I mean compared to, you know, Warrant and mm-hmm. and, and Motley Crue and Cinderella and Poison a lot of those Skid Row you know, and, Slaughter yeah. yeah, I mean they there were definitely some individual songs that I kind of wink wink mm-hmm. like right you know like I don't take it like I. Def Leppard is probably the band that I connect to the most outside of Guns N' Roses, just in, just in terms of this music reminds me of being Mm -hmm. at this place in this time. Right. Um, And while I can definitely recognize some craftsmanship in it and some musicianship in it, it's definitely just loud pop music. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you, when you line up, Motley Crue against Led Zeppelin, they're very different things, yeah. right? The kind of the you know the craft and the sophistication, and I'm not, not. I mean, they're gonna sound like a, Led, some music snob now, but like no, Led Zeppelin is on know, a different plane, and they're and they're the ones right. that actually, uh, uh, what do you call it? Motivated, inspired a lot of these bands. When you talk, when you read yeah. interviews of a lot of these '80s bands, and they talk about their musical influences, almost all of them bring up Led Zeppelin at some point. I mean, yeah. it's it's pretty amazing how common it is because they were it in the seventies, and I I agree. And so, well, you know, yeah, and so and so I guess kind of on a similar note, I would put Guns and Roses a step or at least a half a step above their eighties butt rock counterparts, yeah, right? Because yeah. because where I I can't take you know Warrant cherry pie i saw red you know uncle tom's cabin i remember warrant i can't well. i can take guns and roses seriously <laughs> yeah you know? um, May, i think but uh, yeah oh sorry to interrupt but like so like here's an example no, i'll look at an album like appetite for destruction and i like every song i think every song is great on it and yeah and i look at yeah like you say warrant i can basically name three songs and i don't even know if i've heard or even care about any of their other songs you know like yeah. Um, 
Skid Row, similar. I mean, you got I Remember mm-hmm. You, which I think is her best song. Youth Gone Wild, 18 in Life. I remember those ones. Um, Slaughter, Flight of the well, Angels. And, I mean, and that so was how, would you, how would you plug Bon Jovi in there? Oh, I forgot right? about because, Bon Jovi. Because Bon Jovi, well, because... They're, I think they're really good. I mean, they're... I, they were just as but good like in the bon 90s. Bon Jovi and Van Halen are almost more pop. Yeah. Right? Like they're they're less less metal and more hard rock. Yeah, yeah, right? that's probably I mean, would that, true. Would that be a fair way to put yeah, it? Yeah, I, I don't think because they're not like really screechy. Ladies I mean, and they gentlemen, have... we have completely left the movie. Well, let's do this fine. for a minute and then we'll go back because I have some more things to say about Rings of <laughs> no, Power. We don't have to. Hey, it's our podcast. But, but I think that, um, so like Ben Bon Jovi had an album that came out in about 93 or 4 that to me was as good as anything. Like, like New Jersey, slippery when wet. But I'm now I can't remember uh, what it was called. I'll find it. But um, it, oh, keep the faith. Well, so, it okay. was keep the faith. Oh, keep so the faith. good. Okay. And it had some poppy type songs on it. It was not that heavy. It really wasn't. And yeah. It's not like you get tons of distorted guitars like some of those really heavy metal '80s bands and drums that just seem like they're way too loud. You know, Bon Jovi didn't do that. As much, and he doesn't That's have a I mean. screechy it voice. It seemed like pot- John Bon Jovi. You know, it wasn't a screechy, yeah. screamy type of voice. So, yeah, I don't think they're heavy metal. Although, yeah, I would call them hard rock. Yeah. Well, because I mean, I I think of Bon Jovi as a hair band. Yeah. But not in the same way that I think of Motley Crue, right? Like Motley Crue is farther along the spectrum wherever that mm-hmm. spectrum goes, whereas Bon Jovi is more. Of a pop, yeah. rock, heavy, hard rock, you know. So, but but this actually, and this this I can transition back into something a little bit more visual media oriented. Um, I just watched a two part documentary on Hulu, uh, probably about a month or so ago now, called uh, Kistery, like K I S S. Very good it's title. A, it's a two part documentary yeah. on Kiss, right. and 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 Kiss. I have just. I think I have finally realized that I am a Kiss fan. Oh, okay. Like, I think I've come to accept. I am not, but let's hear why you are. Well, no, it's so, and this is such a weird, because I could almost say the same thing about Las Vegas. Like, there are, there are things that for a long time, I just kind of thought, oh, this is so dumb. Mm-hmm. But then I just ha- have kind of developed this this goofy affection for it. And and with Kiss, so I don't think I don't think I've shared this anecdote on the podcast, probably because it has nothing to do with movies. Mm-hmm. Um so I remember visiting family in Ohio when I was about 6 years old, and I had a couple of older cousins, and one of them had a collection of Kiss albums. And I remember being six years old and looking through, just looking through the album covers. We didn't actually listen to the music, but we just looked at the covers of all these albums. And I remember thinking to myself in my little six-year-old mind, this has got to be the most evil music ever created, mm. just based on the visuals, like because they're all just like, you know, saturated in black and, you know, this this garish kabuki paint, you know, face face makeup and stuff. These guys just looked evil to me, right? And, and so I didn't, again, like I said, I didn't listen to the music. I just kind of assumed it was, oh man, this is, this is terrible. Like I'm going to, 
you know, this is going to take me straight into the bowels of hell just by listening to this, right? <laughs> and then years later, I get a compilation CD that has rock and roll all night on it. And and I listened to Kiss for the first time just in the process of listening to this, this CD. And I remember just thinking, this is Kiss? <laughs> like, this is their music? Really? And it was, there was such a a sense of, I guess, disappointment because I expected like this dark, heavy, more, probably more of what Black Sabbath was sounding like in the seventies. I assumed that in, in my mind that Kiss would have sounded something similar and to kind of realize that they were more kind of like just loud pop music, kind of heavy, you know, and kind of this, this proto kind of hair metal type thing at the time was just this disappointment because I had this image built up in my head. Um, and then over the years, I've kind of heard more of their stuff here and there. Like the, I think one of their songs is used or they, they might, I think they cover a song that gets used in uh, uh, the Bill and Ted's bogus journey. And, uh, and eventually I actually wound up seeing him in concert because our mutual friend Chidsey had a couple of free tickets. Mm. Um, we should have him on the podcast. We sometime. Should. I think, I think he would enjoy shooting the bull with the two of he us. Would, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. And so, so I just remember, you know, going to their concert and just kind of, you know, and then watching this documentary, I just kind of have developed this, this kind of goofy affection. Hmm. And even though, even though I wouldn't like rank their music, you know, certainly nowhere near Led Zeppelin or even, you know, Black Sabbath or anything like that. There's, I don't know, I guess I have to, hmm. you know, I don't know if I quite consider myself a member of the Kiss Army, <laughs> but, but I might be, you know, I don't know. I might be a cadet. I don't know. You might be a kiss cadet. Okay. Yeah. Well, but their documentary is good. Yeah. And that, and and you and you know to kind of stay on point, on brand, somewhat, uh, the two part history documentary is available on Hulu. At least last time I checked. So. Yeah, we should do a, yeah. that. Maybe one time we had to do like a concert doc or a rock doc episode because I've, I've seen oh, a bunch of those. Oh my goodness. And, Yes. There's, yeah, that would be fun. That's a great idea. There's a lot That's out a great there. Idea. I mean, I, I, on the streaming, all the streaming platforms have a ton of them. Sometimes you kind of yeah. look around, but yeah I, yeah, I watched one the other day about half of one called Heart of Gold about about Neil That's Young. right. Yeah, and it's pretty good. I mean, it's yeah. really just kind of a concert. It has a little bit of Talking Head stuff in between, but mostly it's just a concert he did like eight or oh, maybe wow. ten, eight or ten or twelve years ago. But yeah, okay. Um, well, okay, so let me steer it back a little really quickly because I, I think yeah, because I was going to say because now I want to ask you about all of these with these concert films, but maybe we should yeah, save let's that for, let's save uh, it because the there's the yeah we we could go over about it maybe even like what makes a good concert film you know because a lot of people yeah. will say I I've never a hundred percent figured out like why stop making sense is basically considered the gold standard like a classic. But it was pretty oh, compelling. The, the, talk, the talking heads. And one. I don't. And the funny thing is, I'm not a huge fan of the music, and I did like, I liked it. I mean, I, it was. It, but yeah. but yeah. But but anyway. So okay, Rings of Power. You were mentioning that you felt like it <laughs> right. was. You you watched three episodes, right? And you haven't watched any since. Yeah, yeah. I wa- So so when I left off, um, Galadriel. Okay, we. I think we had just found out that the guy who rescued her lord halbrand yeah yeah the two and and then the two of them show up on the island numenor kingdom of numenor Mm -hmm. right um i think that they have revealed that he is 
the exiled king of the Southlands. Exiled king, yeah. yes. So, which again seems a little right. I know. In terms there's of there's a ton of that. Yeah, there's a ton of that. That's that's so what, yeah. So I think I'm pretty sure it's the th- end of the third episode. That's why it feels a little bit like we said Star Wars: The Force Awakens ish. Um, yeah. But yeah. So I just watched the sixth episode and it took a turn. Um, I think I read you, something you might have to read because I, I haven't seen Game of Thrones, so I can only even speak about the about what I've read. I haven't seen it. I know enough to know like it, it's extremely violent and shocking, and I've read the the Red Wedding plot episode and all that. Right. So um, this, and I was thinking about this too because one of the things that I'm fascinated about that would be fun to do a pod about sometime is the ratings, how the rating system came about, why, why certain things are rated the way they are, and. Mm-hmm. I remember one of the reasons I haven't had my kids watch the Lord of the Rings trilogy yet is because of all the orc violence, you know, human on orc <laughs> violence. And and the blood is black. So it's not like you see red yeah. blood everywhere. It's it's black or very, very dark. Right. But it's still kind of gross. And there's like some beheadings and there's stabbings yeah. where they show the stabbing. There's not like a cutaway, like you see the stabbing, you know. In this episode six, there is... As much, I mean, you could probably put all three Lord of the Rings together with how much violence there is in it. Um, wow! And it was, and I, and it's TV, it's, it's um. TV fourteen, <laughs> but and it's orc blood. See, there's not very much blood, although there is okay. there is a scene where a character is stabbed, and it shows it, and there's a lot of bleeding, and there's and it, there's, you know, is are the, is this person going to die or not? And um, uh, and it kind of is prolonged, you know, so it's definitely, it would be pretty harrowing, I think, for, for a kid to see. But the orc, the orc violence is just insane. And basically the entire episode is just battle scenes. There's not, there's really not a lot of catch your breath moments in it. Um, okay. uh, so it really is different because what we've seen so far is like this world building, character introducing, figuring out different, you know, motivations of, and kind of seeing where you think it's going to go, you know, like, and war is inevitable, it's impending. And and then you get to this episode six and it's, I mean, I don't know what the percentage is. Maybe it just, maybe it's overinflated in my mind, but it feels like more mm. than half of the episode is like actual battle, battle scenes and yeah. fights and duels. And so, yeah, and I don't want to, you know, spoil it, but because I think you'll probably yeah. get there, but it, it definitely is like, because remember how we were talked about last, I think it was last week, about how Jeff Bezos was like, I want my own Game of Thrones. I want you to order right. me up Game of Thrones for Amazon Prime. And they, they were able to secure right. the rights to Lord of the Rings for, I can't remember what it was. The total is a billion, but I think the rights alone were $250 million. And so, yeah, I mean, this is this is probably the most Game of Thrones-ish episode that, that they've done so far. Okay. Well, you'll have to let me know. So before, I mean, I guess their new episodes come out on Fridays, mm-hmm. right? Episode seven is this so, Friday. So yeah. So we're recording this on a Wednesday night. It is Wednesday mm-hmm. night, right? Yeah. That's right. Cause I taught my classes earlier. Today, oh, okay. So it's a, it's, it's either a Monday, a Wednesday or a Friday. Um, yeah. So, so you'll have to let me know once you see the newest episode on Friday, if, if this is a, a consistent permanent change or if it was an aberration okay. or, or where things go. So, yeah. Yeah. No, but uh, like I said, I, 
I think I'll probably at some point get around to watching more of the show. Mm-hmm. I it, maybe as soon as tomorrow, you know, I I don't know. Like um it's just right now it's in a category where I'm not chomping at the bit to go and see the newest episode that's available. Yeah. But uh but it does it does help to know that there's kind of a dramatic thing on the way. So I, I still think So I don't know. I, I could still see the point of view that some people share that is more spectacle than story maybe um and yeah. and, and and definitely it's although there are original characters like we talked about and there's new there there are definitely are, are recurring plot lines from from lord of the rings lore or, or and, yeah. and you know so i i don't know we'll see where it goes the other thing i liked about this episode which i we haven't really seen much of before is it does focus on two of the plot you know, plot lines and kind of and completely ignores the other one. It, so it's kind of giving a little bit more longer uh, yeah. play to, to some things going on without feeling like we have to go back and see what these other people are doing every 15 minutes or 20 minutes or whatever. So. Yeah, I think that that's a dangerous... I, I mean, just as I'm thinking about it and thinking about, you know, kind of what I like about Lord of the Rings more and, and different things. You know, I, I think that ensemble cast and having multiple plot lines can be fine, but you know, you kind of, you don't want to lose your focus. Right. And, and I think that one of the things that really worked so well with, with the original Lord of the Rings trilogy was that it really still kind of had a core focus, which is, you know, we are going to destroy the ring. We are, you know, the whole point is to get rid of this mm-hmm. thing before. And, and so even though there were other things kind of parallel, yeah they were still cohesive in that way mm-hmm. and and I yeah know, there's kind of one mission one goal everybody you kind of know who's on what side and yeah it, it was kind of a, a simpler time but going back to um <laughs> well i mean they're kind of going back to amsterdam you know we talk about these big ensemble casts and some movies just do it expertly because every what what you kind of think when you have an ensemble is like okay, does this really add to the enjoyment or to the story? Like, does it add to my experience? Or is it just like, hey, we got a big name actor to come in and do a few lines. And, or we have a character that is, you know, is it just a pointless character that doesn't do anything? And it's just one more person you got to keep track of. And so like a movie like Magnolia, I think is a perfect ensemble movie. You know, it, it jumps around. There's really no starring actor. There's no protagonist. I mean, if you want to put it that way, there's like 10 of them or something. Yeah. And um, But then some of the Wes Andersons, it didn't work for me. I felt like it was it was just an overstuffed cast that you kind of have to just be like, all right, here's another one. Here's another one. Okay. You know, and, and it's just so yeah. many. Um, no, and I, I hate to say that because I really do like Wes Anderson. Mm-hmm. Or I, I, I mean, I hate, to, I hate to have to agree with you saying yeah. that because I really do like a lot of Wes Anderson stuff, but it does seem like as time has gone on, his, his casts have become bloated because it's the thing to do to be in one of his movies. And so, so funny enough, as you were talking about this, this cast issue and then you know bringing up Amsterdam again, I suddenly realized that there was somebody else in the cast that I didn't even mention when I was going through the names who was introduced at the beginning of the movie as a love interest for Christian Bale and then like vanishes for like an hour and 15 minutes to the point where when she shows up again, you th- you go, 
oh yeah, mm-hmm. she's in this movie too, and she was supposed to be. It's Zoe Saldana. Oh, okay. Is the, the actress? You know, she's you know, and she's great. She's awesome, but she vanishes for so long in the movie that there's just this feeling like, I I when when I have those moments watching a movie where either with a character or a plot line I have to go, oh yeah, I had totally forgotten about that. Mm-hmm. That just doesn't seem like a good sign. Yeah. You know, it just it means something just wasn't important mm-hmm. or they got lost, you know, kind of getting lost in the shuffle. But anyway, you know, we can go on and on. But I, I'm impressed that you were able to bring us back to Amsterdam because now we kind of have some closure on this episode. Uh, yeah, I mean, these are both, we're talking about these big ensemble casts. Think about it. Rock music, bands, that's a big ensemble, right? Some Look at look there at Arcade, Arcade Fire. I feel like they have 11 people in that band. <laughs> they don't, but it feels that way. Um, but then, uh, but yeah, like Lord of the Rings, obviously big cast, a lot of characters. And then yeah. these, these ensemble movies, which I, when I look at his cast, it, yeah, he's done a few like that, where it feels like mm-hmm. a lot of big name actors in there. I mean, even just counting the Oscars in there, there's at least three, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, very interesting. Okay. Well, so, uh, looking ahead, I'm not sure what I'm going to see in the next few weeks because I got a screening invite for the third Halloween movie as far as this this most recent trilogy. Good luck with that. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, I almost don't want to do it because I hated the first one. Not the first, not the 1978 Halloween, but the, the most recent reboot thing um the second one i felt like i was set up because it's it felt like it was presented as oh this is going to be different because it's going to be like the townspeople chasing after michael myers instead of the other way around Mm -hmm. and it wasn't it wasn't that and so i felt like i got 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 duped so there's this part of me that's just kind of thinking you know what fool me once yeah you know all that kind of thing i'm not uh when you see the title like when i see the title my first thought is Really? Because it's called Halloween Ends. So you're like, really? Do you yeah. promise? It's like yeah. when Elton John says, hey, I'm doing my farewell tour. And we're like, <laughs> we need to get tickets. But is he doing that just to like drum up even more money? Because he didn't. He's doing another tour this year. And his farewell tour was supposed to be like three years ago. Um, so I don't. I, if, if it makes a lot of money, Halloween doesn't end. There will be a oh, Halloween Ends yeah. too. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Well, and if it and it, even if it pauses, yeah, ten years from now, you know that they're going to be doing something else, a up. reboot, yeah, a requel, yeah, yeah. So, so I guess we can say don't look forward to a review of Halloween Ends because I think Halloween has already ended for me, mm-hmm. at least in terms of that franchise. Um, but we'll definitely come up with something good, even if we're just talking about rock and roll concert documentaries. Concert, yeah, concert films. That would be a blast. But uh, actually, that sounds like that would be a pretty darn good episode. There's some good stuff to cover in that mm-hmm. in that department. So, I don't know. Anything else to sign off with, Mark? Anything exciting happen in your life? Any uh, any any more articles to look forward to anytime no, soon? No, but or? I do plan to write more. I really love it. So I think the next new, at least the next new thing I see, I I would I'll probably write about it, but yeah, I don't know what it is yet. I'm I know a lot of the big fall movies I'm excited about aren't coming out this month, but 
you know, I do plan to see something because uh, um, there's plenty that I haven't seen in the theater and a lot of streaming that I haven't seen. So I'm sure within the next week I'll see something and put out a, a review. Okay, well, we will look forward to it. In the meantime, uh, wherever you are at, whether you're listening to us on Spotify or uh, iTunes or whatever the platform is, be sure to give us a positive review, give us a follow, give us some positive feedback, even some criticisms if you need to. And uh, we'll catch you next time. Mm-hmm.